Welcome to this week's edition of the Casual Shooters Podcast, your premier podcast for the casual shooter. This week's guest is a former Air Force officer, a three-division GM, and a recent guest on the live discussion about division participation. He was also a guest as part of the Air Force episode. That would be episode number 34 if you haven't listened to it um, way back in the day. So we have a lot to catch up on. So if you would, join me in welcoming Casey Case Ryan to the show. How are you doing, Case? I'm doing well, Dave. Thanks so much for, for having me. It's good to be back. Yeah, this is going to be a fun conversation, <clears throat> even though we've already had one live on the air. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, you know, that, that little cutout up there is kind of cool for those watching on YouTube. That's pretty <clears throat> nice touch. Yeah, there you go. Yeah. <laughs> Now what I've started to do is uh, those people that for, well, like take Leif. When I had Leif on, I had his GX products logo up there. Um, but if I'm just talking to a shooter, then I'll, mm -hmm. I'll grab an image off of your social media. I have um, a subscription to a software. I can slap it in and will quickly remove the background. And I add it to this background here. So it's a pretty cool little image. Yeah, that's a good picture too. Back in the uh, the open days, makes me want to go back. Not shooting mm. open anymore, but uh, every time I see somebody shooting open, I just I get the itch. So much fun. If it just wasn't so expensive, I know. Oh man, Oof. it's coming down though. I think I think uh, it'll be interesting to see if these kind of more entry level limited optics um, guns are going to make their way into open guns, and we might start seeing some maybe $3,000 uh, reliable open guns. We'll see. But it'll be interesting for sure. I mean, you can pretty much get a, a threaded barrel for anything. So you could put a comp or whatever you needed on the end of, of just about anything now. Yeah. If you know what you're doing, I mean, it's not, it's not super hard to do a, a frame mount for your optic and then putting a, putting a comp on it. But um, I mean, if you're really trying to run major power factor reliably, I think that requires some proper gunsmithing. MPA is doing a great job. I think I think their open guns are now about. I was looking at it the other day. Their open guns are about forty seven hundred bucks. So, um, okay. from what I've heard, their, their quality is very very good. Um, What's the yeah. lead time though? Yeah, I, I, you're looking at three three plus months. I think. Oh, that's actually not bad. Okay. No, it's not in, I, not I, infinity I, level. Okay, that's what I was thinking. Mm -hmm. All right. So before we get too deep into this, um, reintroduce yourself to the audience, if you would, please. Sure. Yeah. My name is Case Ryan. Um, I've been shooting for about 10 years, so I'm just kind of an average guy. Uh, did eight years active duty Air Force, uh, just got out and I'm now in the Air National Guard. Uh, so continuing my service part time. Uh, grew up in the southeast where there's kind of a mecca of shooting sports down there. Um, got into shooting just at a local, uh, local gun range. I had a Glock 19 that I had bought to conceal carry. I was very interested in just kind of being able to protect myself. Um, saw these matches going on, uh, ended up working for a guy who was selling custom, custom made hair protection. And he would take me around to these matches and that's how I got introduced to USPSA. Um, and then ever since I saw those, I've pretty much been hooked. It's been a massive part of my life. 
uh, for the longest time. So been doing about 10 years, a lot of ups and downs, um, doing a lot of three gun as well. Not so much uh, lately. It's just such a investment with time and money that I haven't had. Um, but uh, yeah, I'm getting back into it. So I started competing uh, competitively in 20, late 2013. Um, and ever since then, I was, I was pretty gung-ho about it. So I spent a lot of time practicing and um, it took me a little bit to kind of become competitive to the point where I was looking at winning level two or level three matches. Uh, I think it took probably about four years, late 2017, um, is when it, when I really kind of got to that point where I was a, a competitive, uh, shooter. I think I made GM early 2018 and limited switched over to open, uh, cause that just looked like a ton of fun. Um, competed really, really heavily in 2018, shooting all the time, training really hard. Um, the following year, my son was born and I stepped away a little bit. So, uh, for the next four years or so, I was just shooting a couple times a year, um, trying to maintain skill, but, uh, I was, I wasn't putting much time into it. Still enjoy it very much, but, um, just, you know, things happen, life happens, priorities change a little bit. Um, this whole time I was on the air force shooting team, um, which is a, is a part-time part-time gig. So, um, I've done, I've been doing security and law enforcement for the air force. And then in my free time, I'd, I'd shoot for them. Um, last two and a half years or so of that, I was the team captain. And then this August I, I separated, went air national guard, uh, stepped down from the team, figured it was time to let somebody else uh, step up. We had a little bit more spark and, um, was, would be able to, to represent a little bit more strongly, uh, than I am now that I can grow a beard and all that kind of stuff for three weeks. <laughs> um, yeah. So, uh, uh, but early this year I shot CO Nats and I, I did not have a very good performance. I mean, it was commensurate with my preparation. Uh, I finished about 99th, I think out of the 500 people. Um, I, I was pretty mad at myself, not because, not because that's not where I deserved to be, but because I finished where I deserved to be and I was not happy at all with that performance. So ever since then, I've been kicking it back up again, um, shot limited, limited optics, uh, which was a lot of fun. Uh, nationals finished 10th there. And I just finished up Ipsic nationals in production optics, which was uh, also a ton of fun. So off season starts now, but I'm really looking forward to 2024. Okay. There's a lot to unpack there. And, but before we get into that, uh, I, I want to go back for a moment. I want to go back in time and revisit the icebreaker questions that we gave you way back in episode 34. Yeah, let's do it. Okay. At that time, your favorite movie was Lord of the Rings. Now, when we were talking, we had Leo and Gant, Chris Gant on here, and we met, we kept talking about The Dentist, and you made a comment that it sounds like a movie. Yes. Now, one of my favorite movies, before John Wick, there was The Accountant. Have okay. Have seen that? Uh, yep. I have. That has, um, oh man, what's his name? Daredevil guy. Um, yep, and I ben can't Affleck. think of his name. Ben, ben Affleck. Affleck. There you yep. go. Mm -hmm. So I have. I had, it's oh, been a while though. Okay, you got to go back and watch it because I, I actually saved. It came on one of the pay channels, so I recorded it on my DVR, so I could always just go back and watch it anytime I wanted. But you should okay. go back and, as I was listening, re-listening to the episode and getting reacquainted to our conversation, when the dentist part came up, and you were like, 
everybody was laughing and you're like, it sounds like a movie mm-hmm. that popped in my head. I was like, Oh, the accountant. Perfect. Yeah. Yeah. It's probably kind of similar too. Cause it's, it's just an unassuming sounding job, but isn't he like an autistic killer or something like that? He's like, a, yeah. Yeah. He's a, yeah. He's like the John wick of autistic people. Yeah. <laughs> he's like rain man and John wick mixed together. Oh man. Literally. Rondre, if you're listening, uh, you we don't, we don't, that's not quite you, but maybe with the PCC. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. We're definitely not calling him any names. Yeah. So. <laughs> All right. So but yes. So favorite- my, my favorite movie is still Lord of the Rings. In fact, I watched okay. it a couple days ago. Um, been watching the, I watched the first two with the extended cut, which I hadn't seen before. Um, and I'm on the third one right now, but to be honest, I like the, I like the original, the original cut better. Um, but yeah, still phenomenal. Just so good. So much passion and emotion with the soundtrack and, and, uh, the character characters are just very enjoyable. Okay. Now your favorite book at the time was the one by Marcus Luttrell. I can't, uh, the name of it actually escapes me. Lone Survivor. Lone Survivor. Thank you. Yeah. Is that still the same or has that changed? Uh, I, I'm going to say Extreme Ownership now. Um, by Jocko Willink. Is book? <laughs> no. <laughs> uh, ex- Extreme Ownership by Jocko Willink okay. and Leif Babin. Um, you, you know who Jocko Willink is, right? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Okay. So uh, former Navy SEAL officer, um, does a lot of leadership development seminars and, and consulting now. Right. He's got a podcast. He's written a couple books. Uh, but the whole premise of it is basically um, taking ownership of any anything that is in, is involved in your life. So, you know, if you have subordinates in your in your job that are um, that are screwing up, that's your fault. What what did you not do to prepare them for uh, for that position? Um, did you not give them proper guidance? Did you not train them the right way? Um, if you take ownership of other people's problems, it stops becoming um, it stops becoming just this thing you don't want to deal with, and it becomes um, it becomes an opportunity for you to positively change everything else around you. Um, sets the organization up for success because you are making sure that you do everything that you need to to make sure that everybody else is successful. Um, so it's it has changed my life pretty significantly. Uh, being being an Air Force officer and kind of always being in charge of a lot of people. Uh, after I read that book. Uh, my mentality on leadership and management changed dramatically. And um, I would argue it's given me a lot of success. So anybody, anybody who's in a leadership position really needs to read that book. Um, And I'll tell you the reason I brought that up too, is just uh, a lot of the the stuff that's been going on with the organization lately, USPSA specifically. um, I think some folks in that organization could, could be wise to read that book. Interesting. I'm gonna have to mm-hmm. put that on my uh, reading list. All right. Now, when we talked before, you were not into superheroes. However, we came up with Captain America. But tell the story again. How we can't? Do you remember? I do. Going? Okay. Tell yeah. that story. Okay. So, I was coming through the gate. Uh, of one of the military installations. Um, and I was wearing a, the Captain America logo on my shirt. 
Um, and one of the, the security guards um, said that I looked like Captain America at the time. And I happened to be a captain at the time. Um, and I just thought that was a, it was a, it was funny. I kind of appreciated it. I don't know if he was really making fun of me or not. Cause um, <laughs> I certainly don't have quite the good looks uh, of Captain America, nor am I six foot and uh, ripped, but um, I thought it was funny. And Captain America is a, uh, is a good, is a good superhero. Cause he's, he was in, he served in the military and patriotic, you know, can't go wrong. So I 100%. like to, I like to think I exude some of those characteristics. Okay. So it, has anything changed there? Uh, your favorite historical figure was Jesus. No, no, those two are the same. Those two are definitely okay. the same. And in, in fact, I'd say um, even more so on the historical fig, uh, figure. Um, I, that's been a significant change in my life in the last year. Um, when, when we talked last, I think there was a lot of cultural Christianity in my life. Uh, I had strayed away from, um, really following his teachings. And about a year ago, um, I felt, I felt him kind of moving in my life and calling me back to him. And so I rededicated myself, uh, to Jesus this past year, got baptized and it's been a huge monumental change, um, in my life. And I'm just, I'm, I'm so thankful because I, I had really walked away from, from it in, in most senses, even though I kind of said I was a Christian, but I wasn't walking the walk at all. Had you been baptized before? I was baptized as an infant. Okay. Yeah. So I don't, I don't remember it. Um, yeah. So I just felt like for me, it was, for me, it was important to publicly proclaim my faith. Um, it was an important step to kind of be bold and, and be confident in, in talking about it. Um, I think it's, it's something that makes a lot of people uncomfortable. Um, being able to be bold and, and talk about it is important for myself to make sure that I'm, I'm strong and, and rooted in, in my, uh, my Christianity. Okay. Yeah, I was actually born, uh, born, holy cow, <laughs> baptized in the Jordan river in Israel. Oh, that's amazing. That's really cool. Yeah. yeah that's so really cool. I, I am a hundred percent behind the country of Israel in anything. Mm -hmm. I don't care what it is. That's just me. Well, that's, yeah, that's, uh, that's pretty, pretty cool. Um, I don't, I don't want to go down that, that whole, that's a whole different conversation. No, <laughs> it is. don't want to it get is. on this. And well, yeah. <laughs> well, there's two separate conversations there. Yeah. Current events and historical events. So. Correct. Yes. Yes, for sure. <laughs> we'll leave it at that for now. Mm -hmm. Um, okay. So the, uh, I'm not going to worry about the favorite gun and caliber unless you wanted to go there. No, not too much. Uh, I would say probably my favorite caliber changed though. Um, I don't oh, know if it's my okay. favorite, but just for a point of discussion, uh, on the wall behind me, I've got a 50 Beowulf AR 15, um, which I discovered since we've last talked and it, it's probably the coolest round ever. I mean, it's like a 350 grain hollow point going 1800 feet per second out of a AR 15. So basically shooting a you know, half of a shotgun slug, um, semi-auto out of a very small rifle. It's very, very cool. Um, I've been waiting for an opportunity to take it back down South to Texas or something and, and shoot some hogs because it would absolutely blow some holes in some hogs. Okay. So that's really not an AR 15. <laughs> that is, that is <laughs> no, not really. A, a well, so heavier. it, it, the, the operating system is, is the exact same. 
Uh, it, it has a 762 by 39 bolt carrier group or, or bolt face. Um, but everything else about the gun is interchangeable except for the barrel. And um, the bolt carrier group is a 762 by 39 bolt face. But uh, other than that, everything else is AR-15. So it's pretty neat. And the whole thing cost me like 400 bucks. I bought I bought all budget stuff and it runs 100%. So what is the actual caliber? 50. 50 caliber. So how, okay. So the barrel has to be a 50 cal. Yeah. A half yep. inch. So how does mm -hmm. a seven, six, two by 39 bolt face, a 308 bolt face fit on a 50 cal cartridge? Yeah. So the, the case head is about half the size, the diameter of the actual case wall. <laughs> it's a very oh. bizarre looking round. Yeah. Wow. Honey, mm -hmm. I shrunk the case. Yep. Okay. Mm, I did not know that. Yeah, it's very but that very explains cool. it. I'm like, wait a minute. The 50 cal and 308 don't they don't match. <laughs> yep. But in this case it does. I yeah. I stand corrected. Yeah. And it, it's not even it's not even AR10 platform. It's an AR15 platform. So receivers are AR10 sized. Wow. Okay. All right. So we got to go down that rabbit hole now. Oh, you brought it up. <laughs> yep, you started it. So for everybody listening, you can blame Case for this one. All right. How much does your gun weigh? The oh, the, oh man, I don't it's it's not it's not a lot. It's probably I think it's got an 18-inch barrel and everything else is pretty lightweight on it. I'm going to guess it weighs uh 8 pounds. Okay, damn, pretty light still. Yeah. Have you run any ballistics through it? Have you no, I don't, I don't really do any of that stuff. It's the, the that's the exact same thing you said it. about 17 HMR too. case. Yeah. And I did, I, I remember I went back and listened to that episode. I totally <laughs> had the velocity wrong in that round, but it's very cool. That's uh, okay. But, no, I just look at what it says in the box and, and that's kind of what I go with. I have a chrono, so you know, occasionally all chrono rounds, but, um, that's more for, I mainly do that with my pistol stuff, make sure I make power factor. And then, uh, occasionally with, with five, five, six stuff. Um, if I need to make sure I'm confirming long distance holds with a, with a new round, like a 77 grain or something. So I don't get too much okay. in the science behind it. It's not, it's not super interesting to me. Very disappointed. Uh, sorry. <laughs> I just like okay. to pull the trigger. <laughs> uh, I, I am, I am. I am not the half of John Wick and Rain Man. I'm just Rain Man. So okay, it's all good. <laughs> well, it makes sense with your background in the the rifle stuff, where you got it. You're you're talking like tenth or quarter MOA groups, right? Isn't that kind of? Yes. You guys get very behind the science with your rifle shooting. Absolutely, and when you're when you're shooting beyond, I'll say 600 yards, it gets it gets critical. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right. So last time I talked to you, you were getting ready to PCS. So for those people listening, permanent change of station from Texas to South Dakota. Yes, I'm, I'm here in South Dakota now. Um, I've been up here since, I guess that was June 2021. Uh, and actually in the next month or two, I'm moving to Omaha, Nebraska. Um, that not, not for a permanent change of station, but for, for personal reasons. So the reason got out of the air force. I was kind of tired of moving around, uh, my particular job. They move us every two years. Um, and just with some, some personal family stuff going on, uh, that just was not gonna, not gonna work out for me. So, 
got out, went guard. So now I'm in, in one location with the military for as long as I choose. I'll be in Omaha for the foreseeable future. So I can have a little bit more stability in my life, but yeah, I'm in Rapid City, South Dakota. Ellsworth Air Force Base is up here. Uh, they've got the B-1 bombers, um, which is what I guarded for the last two and a half years. Very, very, very cool airplane. Um, the Black Hills up here is beautiful. I got into hunting big time while I was up here. Um, everybody's super outdoorsy. Just absolutely gorgeous place to be. Great politics of the state. Um, yeah, very few complaints. One being the wind. Um, second would be not a big shooting community up here. So there's we have one monthly local match. Um, it's very small. We don't have a lot of shooters that come out. So those are my, probably my two biggest complaints. So what have you hunted up there? Um, I've hunted whitetail, muleys. Um, I went hunting for antelope, was unsuccessful. I did take a shot at one with it, with an arrow and just missed it over the, or sailed it over its back just a few inches. Uh, and then I went cow elk hunting last year, uh, was unsuccessful with that one as well. But, um, not always about being successful. I'm, I'm still fairly new to the spot and stock hunting type stuff. So I'm just getting out there trying to enjoy God's creation out there in the wilderness away from people and appreciating the animals. It's been a ton of fun. So I think I filled, I filled my archery rifle, uh, archery deer tag this year and uh, just filled a rifle deer tag earlier this week. So Okay. So you've gotten mm -hmm. some meat. Nice. I do. I've I've got plenty of deer meat right now. All right, now you you're a three division GM. So which which divisions are you a GM in? Limited was my first one, um, and then as soon as I made GM, I switched like the following month over to Open, which I'd never shot before. Then uh, made made GM and Open, and then uh, after my son was born, switched over to Carry Optics, um, made GM in that. So that was another decision that, uh, was, I want to be able to just pick the guns out of the safe, go shoot them, not have to worry about cleaning them, uh, buy factory ammo, not have to worry about reloading or anything like that. So I'd, I'd even sold my press at the time cause I knew I wasn't gonna have time to reload. Um, so that's why I went CO. So I made GM and CO and that's what I've been shooting ever since. So that would have been 2019. Um, I will, probably try to shoot some limited optics next year. I switched over to shadow two after CO nationals, uh, which was a very nice change of pace gun shoots a lot nicer than, than the SIGs I was shooting. Um, it's easy to slap a magwell on there and, uh, off to the races in, in LO. So if the budget allows, I'm in between jobs right now. Um, when I move over to Omaha, I'm trying to switch careers. So we'll see how that goes. And, if the budget allows, then I might try to pick up a, a proper open gun and get back into that. But for now, and all the reloading uh, so, stuff too. Yeah. Well, I've got, I got a press now I've got a press. I got, oh, a, okay. Yeah. I got, I rebought a press after once I bought a shadow two, I was like, I'm going to need to, I'm going to need to load proper ammo for this. If, if I want to be competitive. Um, and sure enough, it, it was necessary because the way that I have it set up, um, both of the shadow twos with the 11 and a half pound, hammer spring. They don't, they don't like anything other than uh, federal primers. So, um, the press was a good choice. Okay. Also, I had had some experience. I bought factory competition ammo, uh, 40 cents around. I'm not going to call out the company Ooh. right now, but that's what I shot. Um, at, 
I guess I shot that at limited optics um, uh, nationals, so handgun nationals. And I had a light strike and probably because they weren't using federal primers, which is fine. And then I also had a couple rounds in that case that were not QC'd properly and they were not the same um, overall length as the other rounds. Ooh. And that was kind of like, all right, I need to, I need to make my own match ammo. Now that ammo, was that a, a remanufactured or was that like no. new brass, new everything? Brand new, brand new competition wow. ammo. 40 cents a 40 round. 40 cents a round. Yeah. Man. Wow. Yeah. Kind of. Yeah. I wouldn't right. be happy. Yeah. That is depressing. <laughs> well, that's why you got it. You always got to examine your ammo before you, before you shoot it. Um, even if it's factory stuff. Uh, I learned that lesson in, in three gun a long time ago. I bought a couple cases of factory five, five, six, 55 grain stuff and, you know, name brand quality stuff. And it, there was a lot that had case defects on them. Um, wow. Yeah, man, mm -hmm. not good. Not good at all. You like the, you prefer, uh, the 55 over the 62 or was that just a, that's what was available cheapest. That's what you got. Yeah. 55 is most readily available. It's the cheapest, um, for everything within hundred yards. That's all you need. Um, agree. Have you shot three gun before? I have not. Okay. Yeah. So most three gun matches, you're not shooting anything under, uh, probably typically about three MOA. Um, occasionally you'll see a two MOA target. Um, and, yeah, so if you know those are coming, you, you put your, your properly zeroed ammo in there. But for the most part, you're shooting IP6 size targets or USPSA targets, uh, paper within 50 yards, and then uh, maybe six inch steel out to um, 200 yards. So, you know, three, three MOA. And then once you start looking at five or 600 yards, you're talking a third, a third uh, BC zone um, or even a full size silhouette out to 600 yards. So, you know, as long as your gun's getting two MOA, you're, you're pretty much good, which most factory 55 grain out of my, uh, JP rifle will do sub two MA, no problem. Um, and then I put the 77 grain stuff in for the, the long range where I really need to hold, hold, uh, or no, my holds and, uh, we'll punch through the wind a little bit better. Okay. All right. Yeah. I mean, even, even out to 200 yards, the wind won't be a whole lot of, unless it's crazy. It, the wind shouldn't affect no. a whole lot. No. Now you mentioned that the off, what did you say? The, you, you said something earlier, you didn't say off season, but you said the either the off season or the next season starts now. Oh, I think, I think I said the off season starts right now. Cause I just shot Ipsic nationals. Uh, so that, that'd be, that would be pretty alpha of me if I said next season starts right now, but, um, no, I'm going to take a, <laughs> there's definitely folks out there, um, who, who have that mindset and that's fine. Uh, I'm not, I'm not hating on that. I am going to take an off season, um, just because I'm going to have to complete a interstate move, start a new job, all that stuff. Uh, and not to mention it's like 17 degrees outside right now. So, um, really it's just dry fire for the next couple months. Um, which is kind of a shame cause I'm, I'm hungry. I'm still, I'm still ready to go. Uh, I would say my season was only half a season this year. Um, my first match was 
Great Plains section in May. Um, and I had won that match in 2022 and was hoping to retain that title, um, or defend it. And I did not come in well prepared. And, and the guys that I beat last year, um, they were a little shocked when I won. I think they were, uh, there were some, I think all three of them were, were top 20 guys and they were a little pissed off when me who none of them knew who I was came in and won the match. So they were, they were hungry to win. Uh, and they prepared better and they, they beat me pretty good on that match. So, um, that was my first match. And then CO Nats was a, a month after that. And again, I, I didn't do a ton of prep. I think I probably had one, one live fire session of training before that. Um, wasn't happy again. And that's kind of when I got my spark again, I said, I'm, I'm ready to, to go all in with competing, um, and go hard and, and really try to, uh, get back up there with the big, big dogs. Um, so it was probably July when I really started training again. Um, and that's kind of when I see myself as, or that was the, that was the start of my season for 2023. So I only had a four month season in some ways, so I'm still ready to go. I kind of wish there were some more matches coming up soon. Um, cause I'm ready to train and, and perform. Nothing indoor anywhere near you, huh? No, we don't have an indoor range anywhere near me. Uh, there was one that got closed down a couple years ago. Uh, just wasn't doing very well. So no, no indoor, but in, I moved to Omaha in a couple months, excuse me. And they've got, they've got an indoor match once a month and their outdoor club is, uh, is active throughout the year and they've got a lot of competition there. So I'm excited to move to a little bit more of a, a hub. Um, Lane Grease is bit based out of there. Uh, Cody Axon, Joel Park, yeah, um, some of those big guys. Mm -hmm. The next thing I wanted to talk to you about was training, or sure. is training. Uh huh. I mean, because like you said, you took a little bit of time off there. Mm -hmm. I was going to ask you if you did take an off season normally, uh, but it sounds like even if you normally do, you probably wouldn't this year, just because your season was so, so short, you, you still feel like you're, you're literally like mid season and not at the end of the shooting season. Um, but normally when do you, when would you ramp up your shooting for the shooting season? Yeah, I, um, I would base it off of my first match of the year. So I always do take an off season. Uh, although I'd say the last few years, my off season has been, been the whole year. Uh, and right. then maybe, maybe two weeks prior to a match, I, I might dry fire a little bit here and there and try to get a live fire session in. Um, so most of the year was, was, was an off season, but it would be basically from whenever my last mat last major is of the year, um, until maybe a month prior to the first major of the next year. Um, that's kind of, would be a general rule of thumb this next year. I'm starting my off season. Now, uh, the first match I know I'm, I'm going to try my best to make is Ipsic nationals again in April. Um, I think it's in Rio Salado. I will probably try to do a two month buildup for that one. Um, and who knows if I get, if I get to Omaha and I get everything kind of settled and, and stuff. And I've got time. I might, I might pull out the guns late January and start dry firing again. Uh, I've got more work to do. Um, I know that based on my performance at handgun nationals and Ipsic nationals, uh, 
I've, I've got some improvements still I need to do my execution. These last two matches has been absolutely phenomenal. Um, but I'm still short on time. Um, I want to say I shot Ipsic nationals in 250 ish seconds. Jacob Hetherington shot it in 200 seconds or 198 seconds. So he had 25%, um, time on me. Um, which tells me I have a lot of work to do in terms of, uh, shaving off time, um, probably entirely in my splits and transitions. So I have, I have pretty, pretty smooth, pretty good movement. Um, I, I wasn't doing too many, too many makeup shots or mistakes that cost time at Ipsic nationals. I, I know of two, um, two stages where I, I lost some significant time, just either battling the elements or, uh, with, kind of careless mistakes, losing, losing focus. Um, but I still got to shave off a lot of time. So, um, I will probably go hard earlier in 2024 with, um, trying to ramp up my dry fire practice, uh, and get some rounds down range early and more consistently. I think that was a huge help this year was getting back behind the gun in live fire again and doing it more consistently, uh, more frequently. So even if that means a little bit less rounds, trying to get to the, to the range, uh, with live ammo more frequently, two, three times a week would be ideal. Um, I don't know how realistic that is next year, but that's what I did this year leading up to these couple matches. And it really, really, really helped kind of was able to dial into, uh, dial into the gun, be very one with the gun as I would call it. Um, I think that's a huge, huge, huge advantage to executing consistently. Okay. Long answer to a short question. (laughs) (laughs) I have three questions, but I'm going to start with, I'm going to combine two of them. Do you have enough time with your shadow two to be that comfortable? And two, knowing you're switching jobs, projecting ahead, do you think that job is going to have enough flexibility for you to do these things? Mm. Well, so it's your, for the first question with the shadow two, uh, at limited optics, no, I was not, I was not one with the gun. Um, I felt the, especially the double action trigger was still very, very foreign to me. I've never shot a gun in 10 years with a double action trigger. Uh, so that took a lot of getting used to, um, and just having enough time behind the gun, even with, when I was shooting the SIGs, I shot them for so long, but I just never put enough rounds through them consistently enough to really feel one with the gun. Cause there's some guys out there who can run those things pretty good. Uh, yeah. Trace, Case. yeah, Trace. Case, when one. you yeah. when you were in the Air Force, did you shoot the Berettas? Weren't they double action? Yeah, but I never competed with them. Okay, so yeah, there's one thing to to carry it and qualify with it, and you know, do your do your proficiency fire. But you're, I never pre- I never trained with them outside of the the military because because um, they suck. To me, they're. I'm, just, I'm yeah. sorry. I didn't mean that out loud. Yeah. Uh, yeah it's, it's not the, uh, it's not the competition gun uh, of choice. Um, even, even today, <laughs> it's pretty obvious. It's, it's not the right choice of competition gun. So. <laughs> <sighs> Sorry, JJ. <laughs> I like how they shoot. I like the Berettas. Um, I would not compete with one, but. Yeah. And look, uh, and I'm going to say this. Um, I, I did not like the Berettas when I was in the military when they first came out. Did not like them at all. It's not the same gun today that it was 30 years ago. 
Mm-hmm. So anything I say about the Beretta, everybody has to take with a grain of salt because I'm I'm literally going 30 years back and and that's my experience. So I I'm not saying yeah. all Berettas suck, but my experience with Berettas, not enjoyable. Right. Yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm with you. Um, although now we got the M18s, I don't know. It's I'm not sure which one I'd rather carry. Uh, those things are a whole nother problem. But They should have just bought a whole new batch of 45s, 1911s back in the late 80s, and, and it'd be good for another... <laughs> Years. <laughs> just make them nine mil. They should just go and buy a, a less expensive version of a 2011. Uh huh. And you know, double stack nine mil in a 1911 frame, and there you go. Yeah. I, hey, I would love to see it. I would love to carry a 2011. Um, Take that, Mark Santos. Yeah. <laughs> he is. He's a on the Navy He's team. A Beretta lover. He, he is yeah. a Beretta lover. That son of a gun. Yeah. Hey, that's okay. Hey, if you, if you like what you shoot, that's probably, um, that's probably half the battle right there. You gotta like what you shoot. So wholeheartedly you gotta be Mm -hmm. behind the gun. So yeah, it's not going to work. Okay. So here's, here was the third part of that question. I don't know if you heard my, my, my headphones blew up because I thought my, um, Instagram was muted and it was not. And I pulled up Jacob because I was like, okay, when you said how much he, he beat you by time-wise, okay, mm-hmm. not points, just time. Yeah. I can remember back Bill Duda um, in the early 2020s, like 2019, 2020 timeframe. He was doing this thing where he was setting up GoPros on like four or five different stages. And for a fee, like uh, I'll say 30, 35 bucks, I could get my stages recorded, pay them, pay him for them. And it was like on a 10 foot, 15 foot pole. So it was up looking down. It got the whole stage. It got you. And, but that was also, you're paying for five of the exact same stages of someone you wanted to compare yourself to. So for me, like one year at the Virginia state match, I paid bill we'll say 35 bucks. And I come and I went and Ron Francisco, I don't know if you know, who he is, he's a GM been shooting for decades. Yeah. That um, name sounds, sounds familiar. I don't personally okay. know him. His, his Instagram is Limcat racer. So, okay. but he shoots a Canic in CO now. And I was like, that's who I want to compare my, my stage runs to. So Bill, I would pay him. And then like a week or two later, I'd receive an email with five different videos. And it was basically us superimposed on each other, the one stage, and then us moving through the stage. It was more like. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> there was a significant delay. Because it was probably like hard. comparing yourself to Jacob. I was comparing myself to Ron Francisco. I'm like, oh, this is way unfair. Um, well, yeah, 25 seconds is not, or excuse me, 25% is not insignificant. Um, no, but he does yeah. have a stage on here. Have you, do you have videos like you could, you could go to other guys like Jacob and look at what he did and run your side by side to see where maybe he yeah. picked up that time. Yeah. So I, I use video, um, immensely. 
Um, and I actually, this, this year is the first time I started using the first person shooter video. Um, and unfortunately at Ipsic, I shot it. Well, I'm sure we'll talk about that, but I didn't take any third person video. I think I have two stages that were on third person oh, just because okay. of the weather. It was just torrentially downpouring all day. Um, and so I don't have any third person, but the first person gives you a pretty good idea of, um, what you're doing. And I will go back, um, probably not right now because like I said, I'm, I'm ready to, to put the guns away and just focus on some family and came back from Ipsic nationals immediately started hunting. So I won't do it right now, but I will go back through everybody else's video and start examining the top shooters anyway, and start examining, um, how, how we did. So it's, it's a little hard to tell because it's when you're, you're at my level, it's kind of like, they just do everything the same, but just a little bit faster, a little bit more efficient, a little bit less right. mistakes. Um, so I don't know how much there is to glean off of just watching their video at this point. But if you're, if you're getting to that point where you're trying to become super competitive, starting off C, B, A, even some masterclass shooters, um, there's a lot to learn from watching the the pros videos and a lot of them posted on YouTube. So I know Aaron Eden's right. posted his, his, uh, European handgun championship video on there. Jacob posts, Jay, posts on there. I think Jay Beal just posted that all of his Ipsic national stuff is on YouTube. Okay. Yep. So I'll have to go watch so, those as well. So, but that's where Bill actually, Bill really messed me up because I, I blame you go fast. Don't suck. Um, <laughs> because now not only do I have my aim, um, aim cam glasses. So I take first person view mm -hmm. where I can see my dot, but I also set up either my GoPro or a cell camera, a cell phone. And I, so mm -hmm. I video both and then I overlay one above the other. So when I go back and look, I'm like, okay, I can see what's going on here and there. But I, I feel like if you, I, I agree with what you're saying. There's a lot more to learn at my level. I have, I can make gross improvements, mm -hmm. meaning I can, I can jump 5%, 6% at a time. Whereas you're, once you hit that 95% point, you don't have that much room to work with, but I still see the, um, advantage of looking at the two. Like I, I took a video of Matt Hempel and Keanu Sai at Virginia state on a single stage and Matt Hempel gets ahead of him mm -hmm. on the first half of the stage. He's ahead. And, but on the second half, Keanu not only catches up, but then surpasses him for the win on the stage. And I think that and again, there was one above the other and I timed them so you could see them moving and see where he actually picked it up and overtook him. I think that's what's valuable for you guys. Mm -hmm. If you're trying to catch that guy at the very top, like Christian Seiler or Jacob or whomever, to me, that's the type of video um, scrutiny that would work. Yeah, I think that that kind of helps, uh, highlight where your strengths and weaknesses are. And if you're, if you're pulling ahead in a certain part of the stage, it's likely that that has a different set of targets than the next, next half. Um, you know, maybe you're, you're looking at a more technical 
portion of a stage or something with more movement. Um, maybe your reloads are slower. So being having that side by side comparison is, is definitely helpful. Um, I know there's, I'm trying to think of the name of the shooter who's who extremely analytical. And there's a few of them out there, but I don't see myself just being honest. I don't see myself putting in the time to make side by side videos to top shooters. Um, I would love to have it, but I, I just, I don't know if I, <laughs> I don't know if I care quite enough about my performance okay. to sit there for several hours and try to find where I can shave a tenth of a second. Um, I know where I, I know where I need to shave off tenths of a second, and that's just, um, that's just hammering down the basics, uh, still building on my foundation or the fundamentals, picking up my transitions a little bit faster. Um, you know, being able to return the gun on target and, and have my follow-up shot a little bit quicker. Um, making sure every single one of my reloads is consistent. Um, that kind of stuff. Like don't have, don't have makeup, stuff, makeup shots on steel. Like I had, I think I had maybe two steel targets, all of Ipsic nationals where I had a makeup shot. Uh, unfortunately on one of them, I shot it like five times. Um, I wasn't settled. <laughs> I called a good shot. I missed and so I just started throwing shots at it. Um, mm. and it cost me a lot because then I ran my gun dry and, uh, the slide didn't lock back. So I reloaded to an empty chamber, came up on the next target click. click and so I had to rack and go. So it was a double, double costly, um, mistake there. And that, that's kind of the one that comes to mind is really the only big mistake I made at Ipsic nationals, but. Yeah, so, so a lot of stuff. So <laughs> yeah, yeah, of course. And I mean, like you said, you know, it, you took some time off there, so you've you've got plenty of rust you need to work through. Mm-hmm. But so, what what do you think are the big things that you need to look at when you do start up after your uh, so after your move and you can actually dedicate some time to it? Where are you going to start? Yeah, so I'm going to start. I'll probably start first with just building familiarity with the gun again. Make sure I'm feeling very, very comfortable with uh, the trigger pull, very, very comfortable with how it tracks. Um, And that's just the basics of normal dry fire, nothing crazy, getting on the range, um, trying to put, I don't know, maybe 50, 100 rounds through a week just to start off. Uh, Just getting familiar with the gun again. And then from there, I think I'm really going to focus on... um, trying to work on my transitions, pick those up a little bit more, um, especially from easier to difficult targets. So I, I noticed at Ipsic nationals, there was a couple times where I transitioned to, uh, an easy open target and it took me, I don't know, probably a 10th of a second longer to take that first shot than I should have. Um, that that stuff adds up quick so working on drills like accelerator uh working on drills like distance change up um different variations of those adding in movement all that kind of stuff so um there's not right now i don't think i have like a single glaring weakness i just need to be everything a little bit faster um and i'd like to get to the point where I can push a little bit. I don't feel like at Ipsic nationals, 
I didn't push hard um, past my comfort zone on any single stages, which is really, really, really good for executing consistently, which I did. Um, but in order to pick up that speed and cut down on that time, I'm going to have to push past my comfort zone a little bit in training. And in the first few matches of the year, I've got to pick it up. So, okay. Now, do you ever, also, do you ever isolate those skills? And what I mean is like, do you isolate movement? Yes. No gun, just moving yep. from place to place as quickly. Okay. Yes, I do. I isolate everything. Uh, I read back in 2018 when I was going really hard on trying to improve. And that was the year where I saw the, the largest improvement in my performance. Um, and I was probably the most competitive. I had read something somewhere and I should probably look this up because I tell people all this time, I need to get that reference again. Your brain can only focus on one thing at a time when you're trying to learn something. So isolating different skills is incredibly important. If all you are doing is complex drills that require multiple types of manipulations, um, transition, splits, draws, reloads, movement, like if that's what all of your dry fire and live fire encompasses, you, you are absolutely slowing down your improvement quite dramatically. Um, now adding all of those skills together and being able to do them all together consistently is a skill in and of itself. Um, but in order to improve each one of those, you have to isolate it. So I do a lot of isolation stuff, uh, especially when I switch platforms to the shadow, like the first, first two weeks of dry fire sessions were entirely focused on isolating one thing or, or another, my draw, my grip, my double action trigger press, my single action trigger press, uh, reloading, transitioning, um, uh, vision. So looking at something specifically on the target, like a very, very small target, aim small, miss small, um, which isn't necessarily focused entirely on the shadow two, but was something that I rec recognized as a big flaw in my game earlier in this year. So all of that stuff, um, has, has been isolated. And when I say isolated, I mean, you know, 15 or 20 minute session focused entirely on that specific skill. Okay. Yeah. I mean, I was, I pulled up the, um, the IPSC national results here and I've got the production optics up. I mean, Jacob, I, I don't know. I mean, he, maybe he took, uh, Maybe he was on a whole bunch of caffeine <laughs> because I would have expected JJ to be right on his heels and he beat JJ by 12 seconds just in time. So yeah, Jacob right now, crazy. He is, yeah. He, unfortunately I haven't gotten to see him shoot this year. Um, I've just been following him, but he's on a next level right now. He is insanely fast and you know what's interesting too is like all the top guys why isn't it letting me scroll all the top guys with the exception actually jail jay shot a clean match good for him um yep and he and he was almost 19 seconds behind jacob and he was second that's crazy yeah, yeah. so that shows you that you know, if you're fast enough, 
an occasional procedural or mic or no shoot here and there does not hurt your game. Um, when you're, that's right. a second, that's an average of a second faster between the first and the second. I mean, th- that's insane. Uh, I would have thought that for most people, um, finishing in the 80% versus the top guy an average of a second per stage, but he's, he finished a second faster than the second place guy, um, per stage, especially considering there are stages that were only five or six seconds. Uh, there's a lot of those. So <laughs> that means he's probably a half a second on the short courses and two or three seconds on every field course, uh, long course, which, yeah, I, I got to well, get some of what he's, he's drinking right now. It's, it's insane. Yeah. I mean, yeah, he beat, I mean, if you just average it out, obviously it doesn't work this way, but it would literally be a second every stage on Jay Beal. Cause yeah. there were 18 stages and he beat him by almost 19 seconds in speed. I mean, he, he beat Nils by 23 seconds. So, mm-hmm. uh, you know, almost 1.3 seconds every stage. So, yeah. Well, Nils, Nils has never been the fastest shooter out of the top, top no. guys. Um, but he's but very consistent. He is very consistent. He shoots, he shoots a lot of alphas. He shot 26 more alphas than Jacob. Um, right. Three less penalties. Yeah. He's just, he is Mr. Consistent and he's fast. He is. And he's accurate. But when you're putting 20 seconds up and you're getting your hits, um, I mean, his Jacob's hits didn't really suffer that much. He shot a few more no. deltas. Um, his Charlies were right there with with pretty much all the other top ten guys, with the exception of Nils. Uh, he did shoot four penalties, but most of the other top ten guys, I think, with the exception of Tom Castro and Jay and Max Michelle. Oh, Max Michelle shot clean too. Um, yeah, everybody else shot penalties so speed speed is king especially up at the top yeah and th- this was a this was a match where there's a lot of close open targets uh, i wouldn't call it hosey ipsic doesn't doesn't really get hosey because even on the short courses they spread the targets way out so um i want to say if i remember correctly the highest hit factor stage i shot was in the eights but most are four or five at most right um but speed, speed still matters. Huge. It does. Yeah, I got to get, really I gotta get my speed down. <laughs> it does. And it, and if you're like Nils, you know, uh, to use Nils as the example, again, he's not going to, he's not going to be the guy with the, with the slowest amount of time. You know, he's not going to be the 198 guy. Mm-hmm. He'll be the 210 to 220 guy, but he's going to be so accurate that he's going to catch up to you or beat you because of his points total. Mm-hmm. So I, I totally get that. But I mean, he beat it just you go back and I look at in the top 10 at 270 being about that, that threshold, you know, of, For the of alphas. 270 alphas. Yep. Yeah. Being in that threshold and he's right there. And that far ahead of everybody in time. The only mm-hmm. the only people who didn't meet that threshold was JJ. Jared Clanton, well, you're seven through 10 and number five. So five and seven through 10, one through four and number six, we're all 270 or above. Yeah. Just amazing. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, he's that's on one thing level I've, right now. He is. He is. I really want to actually get to watch him shoot. That would be cool. I hope hopefully he posts a um a match video from that. I'd love to see it. Um right. I'm gonna end up I only got about half of my stages filmed and they were all first person. I'll end up putting them up on YouTube, but it's not gonna be quite as exciting. Um but that's a good thing. That's a good point to bring up um that I think a lot of viewers and listeners will be interested in hearing. So I've I've been a GM for many years, but I have always struggled with shooting alphas um, anywhere near what the top guys are shooting. And so this year, uh, especially since, since I've been shooting minor, that was one of my big, big, big focuses the last few months was trying to get more alphas uh, and not slowing down. So it had become, I really adopted this training model where the last week, maybe two before a big major, when I would go into a training session, I adopted, I really adopted the match mode. Um, if you guys that listen to Steve Anderson's podcast or read his books, you'll know, you know what that means, but basically, you know, you're not accepting anything other than alphas. You are, you're shooting it at, at the speed of your ability. Um, so what I would do is I would set up these drills or even stages and I would not allow myself to get a practice run on it. I would uh, do my make ready just like I would at a match. So for, especially for Ipsic nationals, having not done that before, I would, I would make ready like I would at Ipsic where you can't take a sight picture on, on a target. You got to aim at the ground. Uh, you can't dry fire your gun. And I would, I would allow myself a, a, a dry run walkthrough with my hands. I would make ready like the match. And then I would shoot that drill one time only accepting alphas. And I would, if I called a mic, I'd make it up. Um, and I got to the point after doing that over, Oh, and then, then I would change the, the, the stage up a little bit. I would never shoot the same thing twice. Um, I would move the targets, move the starting position, building into my mindset, this, you get one opportunity, uh, to shoot this just like you would at a major match. Um, and okay. after doing that time after time, after time, I found myself just drilling alphas, uh, by the end of the, the training session. Um, I was no longer shooting deltas. Um, my, my Charlie's were way, way, way down. And it, the, the proof is in the pudding right here. Um, looking at my scores from Ipsic nationals, I was right there in terms of my alpha count with those top guys. I shot 275 alphas uh 59 charlies and jacob shot 270 alphas 61 charlies um i only had one penalty which would have put me kind of right up there with with those top guys as well um i was just too slow too slow got to pick it up a little bit mm -hmm. but i attribute probably 10 to 15 seconds of that on the weather um i don't like to be a guy that kind of makes excuses especially talking about extreme ownership but uh on Thursday. So I shot on Thursday. Um, I have never in my life shot a match where we were so wet. It was raining from about eight 30 AM. If I remember correctly, all the way till the end of the day. So we got about three dry stages in, then it started raining. Um, and this is, it, it was just nonstop, just pouring. I got to the point where my hands were pruny like by about 1 PM, my hands were pruny as if I had been sitting in a bathtub and I'd never experienced this before, but I tried drying them off 
with a towel. We had a couple guys on the honor squad that had towels that would try to keep them dry. So I'd get all the wa- the water off the exterior of my hand, but my hands were so pruny that even when I was gripping the gun, it felt wet. Like water was kind of like coming out of my hands. Uh, wow. pro, pro grip did not stick at all. It just kind of melted away. Um, so it was, it was interesting. I was shooting these stages with quote unquote dry hands, but they were so pruny that I could feel the gun moving around as it was recoiling. I just couldn't grip the gun, uh, well enough because my hands were so pruned. It's something I had never experienced before. And then we had, um, yeah, I was shooting a, an SRO, which I absolutely love the optic, but I had never had to shoot it in that much rain before. And despite my best efforts to keep the emitter dry, there's a couple stages I shot. I think there was about four stages where I had to shoot in the absolute pouring rain. And between when the buzzer went off and I moved my hand to uncover the, the glass, uh, cause I kind of positioned my arm over the optic to, uh, protect it from the rain. Well, just in that short one second from the buzzer to bringing the gun up on target, rain got um, on my emitter. And so what I saw was two or three dots in different directions, and they didn't look like they were centered on the glass. So I'm sitting there for a second like, oh, shoot, I don't even know which which dot do I aim at. Um, And there was a couple stages where I picked the wrong dot, and my my, uh, points went way down. I was shooting Charlie's and deltas and had some makeup shots and everything was just way slower um so maybe a case for a closed emitter um i think in most cases for competition it's it's not the best because the the windows are smaller and uh you don't really you keep them in good shape um that was the first time where i would have liked to have shoot maybe that new um Oh man, what do they call that? That new Trigicon one, but the closed, any closed emitter dot would have been at least slightly better just cause you know, you get a little bit on the lens on the front and the back and that, and that can affect it. But when it's on the emitter, the dot's done. I mean, you just can't see much. So there's a lot of index shooting that went on for Thursday and Friday. Friday was pretty bad too. Folks shooting in Friday, wow. um, Thursday, Friday shooters had a pretty significant disadvantage. Um, Saturday, Sunday, weather was absolutely gorgeous. Uh, they, the stages were mud, so they had to kind of deal with all that from all the rain. But I was glad the guys over the weekend got good weather because it was such a it was such a fun match. I I really enjoyed the way they designed the stages. Um, Florida in November is, is great temperature wise. Um, being able to shoot in good weather is there's just nothing better. Bad day in the range is better than a good day in the office. Uh, of course. Now that makes me wonder though, too, like now I would be curious to go back because I don't know. I didn't look at the um, practice score before the match was fired. So I don't know who was on what squad and shot what day or anything like that, but I would be really interested to see which day each of these guys shot. Cause imagine if Jacob shot on Sunday and he shot Saturday, Sunday, yeah. Okay. So I can tell you out of the top 10, um, two of them shot Thursday, Friday, uh, Thursday or Friday. They kind of did a weird schedule. They had folks shooting all day Thursday, which was me. <clears throat> they had a few squads shot Thursday and Friday, and there was a squad that shot all day Friday as well. So it was a, it was an interesting mix, but, um, Emil Aubriot, um, 
He's from Greece. He shot on Friday, I believe. And okay. Jedediah Morgan shot Thursday or Thursday, Friday. Okay. And I think I think Hunter Constantine may have shot on Friday as well, but he he's eleventh. Um, and then right, but but now you wonder how much did that affect him? Like yeah. if he shot Saturday afternoon, Sunday morning, how how different would his score be? You know what I mean? Yeah, I um, I did a little bit of the what if game, like I, like some people do always, and I, I went back to my stages where I knew. I was at a significant disadvantage because of the dot blooming shoot, having to shoot in the, in just the pouring rain um, where I know I was probably 20% off the pace just because of, of the rain. I went back and I edited a few scores just to see, and it was a three or 4% uh, swing in, in match scores. So at least for me, um, it, it bumped me down a, a few places, uh, but that's, it is what it is. I mean, they, this, oh, yeah. I got to give a shout out to Manny and, and Gorka, the guys who, who run the extreme GM range. They did a fantastic job keeping this match up and running, even when it was torrential downpour. Um, if this had, if this rain had been at most other matches, people wouldn't have been shooting, but just because we knew it was a tight schedule, a lot of the folks shooting on Thursday were ROing. They had to get it done. Um, and the way that they had set it up like stage, design and science behind where you put targets and all that stuff. Uh, it really didn't affect the match too much in terms of we didn't have range equipment malfunctions or anything like that. So they did a really, really good job keeping it running. That's real good. Then mm -hmm. I mean, with, I mean, even if you take the, like, I wouldn't expect the rain itself to cause malfunctions, but I would expect, uh, the mud to start causing issues with activators, like making the cable stick in the mud and, and other issues. Yeah. So for them not to have those issues, that's saying something. Yeah, no, they have some pretty heavy duty, uh, activator targets there. Um, the activator stick is built into the actual target stand itself. So those weren't affected by, by the, uh, the rain at all. The way they had the, the mm. wire wasn't running through the mud. Okay. I was very impressed. Yeah. Yeah. That's a, yeah, it's very impressive. Okay. But just out of curiosity, that's what I'm saying. I would be curious to see when everybody, what day they shot, you know, and, and how, cause like Michael Pogey and Jay Slater shot all day Friday. And I mean, looking at the videos, it's like, my God, what a horrible day to, to try to shoot. Yeah. So if you shot Saturday or Sunday, you were at least like you were saying, at least they have the advantage of, they don't have to worry about their emitter getting water in it and not mm -hmm. being able to see their dot clearly. You know, you may be dealing with really slick, muddy surface, but at least your, your gun and your optic are working fine. You just have to clean the heck out of your mags. <laughs> yeah. This was a match where you, you wanted to shoot irons, I think. Uh, at least if you shot Thursday, Friday, um, well, it, it was and, not fun. <laughs> and that leads, that leads to a fun. note I wrote. What about co-witness sites? What about co-witness irons? Instead of always doing a closed emitter, you could do co-witness irons. Yeah. Um, that's a good point. I need to do more practice with that. Um, I think when you have a dot that's so, uh, so covered in water, 
um, it becomes it becomes almost in some sense it becomes um, like it's an it's an occluded optic in the sense that it, it's harder to look through it and be target focused. So you're relying on your your weak eye or your your opposite eye to allow that target focus. And when you do that, um, you're relying on that dot to be on the same plane as a target. Well, you can't do that with a front sight um, because it's not projected onto the target. So when I shoot with uh, um, the, the irons that are, um, um, what did you just call coat witness? Sorry, <laughs> coat witness irons. Um, I just, I'm I glad have you have the same disease. Time. I yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I have a very hard time uh, shooting them as I would normally. Um, and that's, that probably comes with practice. Uh, and it would definitely be something I'd want to train, like get an optic all completely wet and trying to use coat witness irons. But well, I don't know. And, I don't know how well and, it would have worked. But, uh, you know, what I'm looking at is not using the irons to aim with, but what I am getting at is, you know, look, when I first started shooting a dot, I was, I was literally like, uh, where's this thing at? You mm -hmm. know, even dry firing. I'm like, man, where's this, you know, until you got your presentation down and, and it was there, what I ended up doing in a, in a one time in a match when I was like, literally one of the first matches I shot, I was going around asking people, how do you find your dot so fast? But when I pulled it up, at least if I found my front sight and I lowered it down, because I knew where the front sight needed to be in orientation with mm -hmm. the rear, I could at least find the dot in the middle of the optic. I'm just wondering if in those rare circumstances, so like, like this match, which was, have you've never had this happen in the 10 years of shooting? I have not. So, no. Right. Mm -hmm. So here's your extremely rare situation where maybe it's just one of those things where you present it and you're like, at least you're like, okay, uh, at least I know everything's aligned. I can just shoot like normal. And there's, that's the dot I need to use. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, well, when the, when the water's on the emitter, the dot's not going straight. It, cause it's, ref the water is refracting, refracting onto right. somewhere else. So you either, I think would have to just use the irons, um, okay. or just index shoot. So that'd be good. I, sh I should get out there and train and, and try that out. Cause that would be good. Uh, definitely would learn something from it. I think. Absolutely. Yeah. At least, but you know, what you could hit and couldn't hit, you know? Yeah. I took my front sights off, um, for this gun, for this match. Um, I just, when you're shooting competition optics, like you've, I've practiced my indexing so much, even strong hand weekend that I don't need it to be able to find the dot. And to me, there's a risk in cutting my hand. Like when you got to come over the top of the slide and rack it, that's a higher risk for me than it is wanting to have that front sight there. So I've done that a few times. Um, you come over the top or the optic gets, excuse me, the, the dot the front sight gets caught on something uh, or gets caught on your hand as you're trying to rack the gun and you slice it open while you're trying to shoot. That's no fun. So I just took it off. It can also be a little bit distracting at times too, when you're trying to be target focused and that little yeah. block is there. So, yeah, I find it, I find it. So I have an RMR on one pistol. I've got to leave it in the holster for, 
particular reason. Yep. So I've got an RMR there and I find mm -hmm. that the front sight sticks up more because it's a lower profile dot. Mm -hmm. Whereas my SRO being so much taller, as you can see, well, that's not uh, co-witnessed, I'm assuming. No, that's what yeah. I mean. The, I don't know anybody that runs co-witness irons for for a for a competition gun. Right, but now I'm, I'm almost wondering. They now make plates that allow you to almost co-witness everything. I'm almost like, uh, for that rare, like maybe on your backup gun in a situation like this, hmm. you know? Yeah. Yeah. I, I don't know. I don't know if I ever shoot a, if I'll ever shoot a match quite like this one again. So I don't know if it's worth I thought about like, do I buy an extra Hope slide not. and put in a closed emitter and close emitter with, with irons on there. Um, yeah. I mean, it would, I would have rather have shot this shot that during this match, but I, I don't think I'll shoot another match like that again. Sure. Hope not. Anyways, we were all so wet that it was just, it wasn't fun. It wasn't fun. Mm -mm. Um, that wouldn't be fun. But the trip but it, was fun. I still, that's another thing too, is uh, totally off topic here. But uh, it's one of the things that I've kind of changed in my mindset this year is just having fun, um, going to the range, like, and just telling myself, I'm going to have fun today. I'm, I'm outside. It's beautiful. God's blessed me with this ability to do this and the resources. And we're going to have, we're going to have a good time. doesn't matter how I shoot. Uh, I'm not here. I'm not nobody's making a living. <laughs> At least I'm not doing this. In fact, I'm probably uh, forcing myself into a, a job that pays Very more for, just for the reason of being able to shoot. But uh, just <laughs> trying to have fun and be positive. Um, and I remember at at it was Handgun Nationals. We, I was done with the first day, and I was walking around and. I saw a couple guys, a couple good shooters. I'm not going to name their names. And I was like, Hey, how you guys doing? You guys, you guys having fun shooting? Well, and they're like, Oh, this, this is, this sucks. And I'm like, Oh yeah, I'm, I'm having a great time. And now after the match was over, I was looking back at myself. I was like, they really, I didn't like the match that much. It wasn't that fun of a, uh, a match design. I didn't like how the stages were all, um, 50 yard partial targets and all that kind of stuff, which I'm not going to hit on. You guys have talked about that enough on, on previous uh, guests, but uh, I had fun at the match. I had a lot of fun at the match. I just wasn't necessarily focused on, okay, these stages aren't fun. It was just a mindset that I told myself when I got there. And I think it really allowed me to, um, when I did have mistakes, which I had a lot more at that match, just move past them pretty quick and, and get back on to trying to execute I get that. At least you enjoyed something. I, I think at some point, you know, it, it's going to, it switches over from, okay, this match is not great, but at least I'm having fun with everybody here. So, yes. Yeah. It's all about good, having good people surrounding yourself with, with good, good folks. So uh, I try to make sure I'm lodging with good people. I got to dinner with good people and yeah, it's more about that. I think than how you're actually shooting. Do you normally travel with a group? Like, do you meet up with people and, and like some people get the Airbnb and like, there's a whole group of them. Is that what you do? Uh, for the most part. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, the last two matches I've stayed with John Vlieger. Um, I will shoot. I still, 
uh, lodge with the shooting team guys, Air Force shooting team. Um, we still coordinate a lot. In fact, I'm planning on staying with them for Area 1 next year. So, yeah, having a good group of guys to travel with and coordinate with is uh, is definitely worth it. I will, I will pretty much only go shoot matches that require traveling um, if I have good people to stay with and travel with. Um, okay. I, I've shot a couple matches here and there where I didn't shoot with anybody I knew. I didn't stay with anybody I knew and it was not fun. I just nowhere near the same experience. So Interesting. most by and large, most people in the sport are great. Um, but that doesn't mean I'm necessarily going to get along with them all. So, uh, it's hit or miss if you go well, shoot life. a bunch of random people. Yeah. 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 Agree. All right, so you mentioned Ipsic Nationals in May. Uh, April. I'm sorry, April. April, yeah. In Rio Salada. So mm -hmm. are you trying to get on the world shoot team? No, I think that's out of the cards at this point. Um, the amount of improvement I would need to make. So CO, CO Nationals was was a didn't even count. I mean, it was my percentage was like 78% or something. It was pretty bad. Um this Ipsic Nationals, you know, I did a decent percent, 83%, 19th place or something. Um, but I think they take the top four and there's definitely way more than four people who I think are trying to go that are going to finish well above me in that percentage. Um, but I would like to set myself up to potentially get an individual slot. So once they pick the four people, that are going to represent the U.S. Um, they work their way down the list to and offer individual slots. I don't know how many individual slots they get, but I I think there's enough that um, if I shoot well at the next next Ipsic Nats and CO Nats, that I I will at least put myself in the running to get an individual slot. Um, I don't know if I'll be able to go to South Africa, and I would say right now it's probably not like a huge huge goal of mine. Um, but I, I want to give myself that opportunity because in a year from now, that could absolutely change. Um, and as life goes on, you never know what could happen. I might not have another opportunity. So if I'm, if I'm close, I want to, I want to get myself that opportunity and I'll decide that later on. South Africa okay. is a beautiful country. I went there in 2012. Um, I had an absolute blast. It's a little different now. I know there's definitely concerns concerns with safety and things like that, but I would yeah. I would trust that given the nature of the event that they'll do what they need to do to make sure it's safe. Um, so I would think so. Yeah, and 2025 is far enough in advance that I I can plan a trip like that, and um, if I go, I'm sure it would be just an amazing opportunity. So you mentioned the Trijicon closed emitter. It's the RCR and like the RMR, it's a lower footprint too. And they're showing allows for use with RMR compatible iron sights. Okay. Interesting. Yeah. But that also means that it's a smaller window, which is what you said. Yeah. Um, which I think is a little bit less uh, important than a lot of people think. Uh, I shot a Vortex Razor on my SIG um, for a long time. Uh, and that is one of the smallest competition dot windows uh, that are out there. And I didn't feel like it held me back. I prefer a larger one. The SRO is fantastic. 
but uh, it was not, it never got to the point where I thought to myself, oh, this is, I'm not winning because of this, or I'm messing something up because this window is not big enough. Have you seen uh, David Blanton, the humble marksman, has posted a couple pictures of um, the Siley bull? Have you seen that? Uh, yes. Huge. It's bizarre. I don't know why it's so wide. It sticks out like an inch in each direction off the slide. Uh, yeah. But That's I mean, all I've seen the pictures. I don't know anything else about it. I, I listened to a little bit of what he said about it. He said he dropped that thing right on it with a, a heavy pistol. And um, it did break one part, but it had nothing to do with the function of the actual site. Okay. And, and did well. But I was like, man, that thing is a behemoth. But looks like a Quonset hut on your on your pistol. <laughs> yeah. But but hey, well, it's, it's size isn't like, too. Go ahead. No, I was going to say size doesn't matter too too much for competition in terms of like it can be wide or anything. But um, I am particular on what I put my put on my carry guns or because me too. Um, I I like a small profile, so RMR. I E-Flex, stuff like that, the smaller stuff. Now, when we were talking earlier, I pulled something up because I don't know if you have, and I'm not saying you have to, but I had Casey Reed and Luke Faust on talking about um, the dry fire systems that they have created. And it's pretty interesting. It's a subscription thing, but mm -hmm. every single week they come out, and here's an example. Um, like this week's, they have a drill just for warm up, a drill for gun handling, a drill for short movement, long movement, and then other skills as well. And every week they put up new drills and you can literally print them off on an eight by 11 and put them on your wall. And they give you the exact instructions and you, mm -hmm. you shoot. Um, but I found that pretty interesting, especially for. Um, I, I think at some point it gets hard to get create, not hard, but it can get kind of stale doing the same stuff. And you've got to try to be creative and you're like, all right, what am I going to do now to, to perfect something more? It's interesting that they actually have a system out there that allow people to drill these things. And you don't, you can literally and I'm going to go, the reason I'm saying this stuff is you're like, I'm not an, an over, like, look, I have paralysis by analysis. Mm -hmm. That does happen to me. And you seem like you're not analytical having those issues like I do. But I think for people that have an issue trying to come up with different ways to train or, or they don't necessarily want to be analytical in this way, but they need to work on a few things. It's actually a pretty good little system they have created where they give you it's all it's almost like a freaking written stage brief yeah and a stage it's yeah. pretty interesting uh i think that's a great great system um when you were saying that it kind of reminds me of of crossfit so i i coach crossfit mm. um in my free time and one of the things i love about crossfit is you don't have to think about what you're doing for the day, you just show up and they tell you what you're doing. Um, yes. and unless you are trying to become very, very competitive, uh, you don't really need to worry too much about your, your weaknesses, your strengths. Like you're going to get a really good general 
workout where you're going to work your cardio, you're going to get stronger where you need to get stronger. And you're going to be generally very, very fit. Um, if you just stick to it and you don't have to think about it, I don't, I don't like having to think about programming too, too much. Um, now I've done a couple competitions. So there are certain times where I'm like, oh, I'm kind of weak at this. I need to work on it in shooting. I think having that ability to identify where your weaknesses are, um, is, uh, is huge to, for improvement. So like, I'm at the point now where maybe I'm going to walk back what I said earlier, but I'm at the point now where <laughs> my, my weaknesses are not immediately obvious because it's, it's just very minutiae stuff here and there and there. So it's like, right. maybe I need to be a little bit more analytical to see where the, the, the juice is worth the squeeze and start working on those things. Um, whereas if I watch a B or an A class shooter, I can identify and tell them, Hey man, this, this is where you need to work on. Like, the next month I want you to do this. Uh, I can tell very easily that your, um, your movement in, in this particular thing is, is bad. You're, you're staring at the target after you pull your last shot, uh, for a good quarter second before you transition. You know, it's, it's usually a little much more obvious. So I can identify that, tell that person, Hey, this is where you need to work on it for me. Uh, now that I'm at the point where I'm at, I probably need to put in a little bit more time to become analytical. Um, and I've, I've tried to do some of that, like it might be more data collection than analyzing where my weakness, weaknesses are, but I've heard different shooters. I think Siler is known for this too, but he can tell you exactly what split he can do on any given target yes. at any distance. And yes. it plays into his stage plan. It's like here I can, yes. I can accept a Charlie here um, because it's not worth the extra, whatever uh, aircraft fell, I think is known for this as well. So you know, I've tried to do a little bit more of that this year is like identifying, you know, where, what a draw is going to be at different types of targets, what a split is going to be at different types of targets at different lengths, um, to some extent transitions. So there's, it's a never endless pit. Like there's no such thing as a perfect stage <laughs> and you're, you can always get a little bit, a little bit better. So, um, yeah, it's, it's how much time and effort do you want to put into it? Yeah, and that's what I was about to say. It all depends on how high up the list you want to be. If you mm -hmm. are striving to be like like Christian was, to be the national champ, then you've got to invest that time to to figure out all those little points you've got to polish up, you know, uh, yeah. and make improvements on. And and he did, and but but that's not everybody. And you know, some people just want to be good, really, really good. But you know, if they're in the top 10, they're like, Hey, or even top 20, I'm like, that's good enough for me. I'm, I'm happy where I'm at. Mm -hmm. So it just really all depends on like, as you said, how much time are you willing and want to invest? What's okay. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I, I want to get to the point. I think my, my goal is where I'm winning an area match. I think that's kind of where I want to be. Um, I'm okay. not sure. I will have the time in the foreseeable future to get to the point where I'm winning a national championship or, or competitive to win a national championship. But I don't think there's actually that much of a difference between the two, but it's like, once you get to winning an area championship, the extra amount of effort it takes to get good enough to win a national championship is it's, it's an exponential amount of extra work for very small gains. So, um, mm, okay. Yeah. It's, you know, the, once, once you, 
get way better, you got to put in a lot more work just for this, that little extra half an extra percent. So, um, we'll see, we'll see. Um, yeah, I definitely was pissed off when I didn't defend the title, uh, this year for my section match. So I'm going to be coming hungry for that one again. Um, all right. So when uh, is that match? Uh, that's been in May historically. I don't know if they've released the dates for next year. Uh, okay. Well, I, I mean, I can check the calendar real quick, but that doesn't mean that it's going to be on there. I don't think um, it is yet. It's the Great Plains section. So next year I'm shooting oh, Ipsic Nats, uh, the Great Plains section, if I can, because that's my local one. Um, I'll be shooting CO Nats and Handgun Nats. Um, and then Area 1, Area 3. And prob if I can, I'm going to shoot multi-gun nationals again. Um, I finished sixth in, in modified this year, and I'd like to make another run for that top five. That's kind of always been a goal of mine is to top five or to podium. Um, I don't know if I'll be able to this year because it overlaps with some military training that I have to do. Um, okay. It is what it is. I think I'm going to get enough matches in next year that I'll kind of scratch my itch and have a good time. Yeah. I just went through every, all the match list and it's not out yet. Okay. So, yeah, but I'm, I'm sure if you reached out to Scott Arnberg, he'd tell you if they were eyeballing a certain time frame. Yeah. That's a good point. So, mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. He's pretty responsive too. So mm -hmm. at least that way you can look to see if you even, you know, you may not even, you may end up putting it out of your mind because you may again once have you know may have some military training that will interfere. So, yeah, at least you would know. Yeah. Mm -hmm. All right. So, what are your goals then? Uh, is it just to like be an area winner type of a thing? Uh, I would say, yeah. First and foremost, I'd like to win an area match. Um, I'd like to be competitive to win every single level two that I'm at or level three. Um, and I would like to, uh, like to get a, a, a permanent spot on the super squad. So I want to be up there with that top 10, top 10 guys. So I, I made my first super squad for this next year with limited optics. Um, there's probably a little asterisk next to it because the field was not very deep. I recognize that. And I know there's going to be a lot more heat coming into that division next year. So I'm going to have to prepare a lot to maintain that spot. Um, but I'm excited for that challenge. So that's kind of where, what I've got coming up, um, going forward. Um, I would say, you know, just becoming a little bit more established in the community. If there's ways I can not spend so much money doing this, that would be amazing. Um, I've got a, I've got, uh, a company that helps support me. Um, but it, I still spend a lot of money on this sport. So, um, I would love to, if there's ways to partner with some folks, um, mutually benefit each other's, uh, careers, that would be great. Um, I started teaching classes. Uh, I did, I taught in the military, not full time, but, um, as part of the air force shooting team, we got to go do, do some training events and, and teach some special operators. I taught some, some defenders how to do handgun stuff, uh, a little bit of rifle stuff here and there too, but I'd like to expand that a little bit more. Um, I enjoy teaching and coaching. So if there's anybody out there that, 
uh, would like to put together a class and wants to bring me out, I'm, I am absolutely open to it. Um, I focus on the competition side. I don't have any interest in kind of basic handgun teaching. Uh, there's plenty of NRA instructors out there for that. So that'd be something I'd like to expand a little bit next year. Um, and yeah, you know, just have a good time, build more relationships, just be, be a positive light in the community. I think, you know, use, uh, use my faith to, to help people if, if possible, Lord willing. So, um, yeah, kind of some general goals out there for next year. Okay. Well, how would they reach you? So they can reach me on Instagram. It's probably the easiest. Uh, it's at shooter page. Um, I'm pretty active on there. At least I monitor. I don't post a ton, ton, but that's the best way to get me. Uh, and then I have a YouTube. It's a uh, case Ryan training. Um, could reach out on there too. I don't have a ton of stuff on there yet, but I'm, I'm hoping next year I can actually start posting a little bit more content. Um, some, some fun stuff, which speaking of which, um, I wanted to talk about this, but I, I think, I know we're kind of winding down, but maybe, maybe you could bring it up with your next guest. Cause you, you're a little bit more connected than I am. I think our sport really needs some more digestible, consistent media exposure. So we've, we've lost our mainstream media support, um, which I don't know how strong it ever was for USPSA. I guess shooting USA was, was it or is it? Um, but nobody nobody pays for TV subscriptions anymore. So your way to watch shooter shooting USA is to go to their website and, and buy the episode or two, which I wish I was more consistent in doing, um, but I just haven't done it. Like I don't have Outdoor Channel or anything like that. I think most people have moved mm. away from cable TV. So shooting USA is our best coverage in in mainstream media, um, but we've got folks doing social media now. Uh, but it's it's hard to get the content out there, especially on Instagram, um, because of the because um, all the censorship that goes on. So right. YouTube, YouTube is is one of the better ones. They still censor some stuff, but they do allow a lot of uh, firearms content on there. And some of my favorite things to do is follow people who do vlogs um, in individual sports and stuff like that. And I think if our sport had somebody who was doing doing a vlog for going around and doing their shooting season, I think that would be massive exposure for USPSA to get to get folks and get sponsorships in there, get some money, get some more money driven to the support folks uh interested in what we do so it's just a thought i had yeah do you watch I, youtube at all yes but i think for what we're talking i think rumble would be the way to go because they don't mm -hmm. censor it at all okay um it would just be getting people i think what you would have to do is and look the wheels were turning as you were talking um you could almost do like a couple times a week, almost do like a TV show about the shooting sports, but yeah. in, in like a vlog TV show, you know, where you, you have like this, I can create a set, you know what I mean? And then have different, different people talking, different guests covering different aspects of the shooting sports, but rumble would allow you to actually monetize. So 
once you built up that viewership and got your time going, you could actually monetize it that way. And then you take snippets of that show and put it out on social media, like your Instagram mm -hmm. or a Facebook page. So people will see like a, a 30 second snippet and they're like, oh, with a rumble link. And then you go to rumble and you know, okay. watch the video type of a thing. So I, I think it's doable and I, I like it. Um, I like the idea because I'm trying to figure out some things too, because I, I agree with you. We need more media. Uh, we, we need people seeing stuff. It's getting it out there and being seen without being constantly censored is the issue. Yeah. I think our ability to, uh, with shooting content for the most part to kind of go viral and, and to get shared organically um, is, has been pretty much removed for the most part, at least on Instagram. I don't, I don't see like all I follow is shooters and shooting content and, none of the suggested stuff that comes up for me is any of that stuff. So, uh, right. so anecdotally, anyways, I, th I think the ability for organic growth uh, on social media is pretty repressed. Oh, absolutely. I mean, Mike Seeklanders pretty much moved off of Instagram altogether just because of yeah. what they've been doing. So, and I get it. Now, yeah. the, the one other topic I do want to talk about, um, that I'd actually like for you to ask the questions about is the okay. shooter of the year numbers. So yes. what are your questions yeah. about that? So I can okay. answer them and then everybody can know. <laughs> okay. Yeah. So Dave, you put together a shoot of the year, uh, which is a really cool, um, thing, but what we're all wondering is what, give us the breakdown of how you came up, came up with those calculations. All right. So I, I, I've been wanting to do a shooter of the year for a while. Like who, who is the MVP of shooting type of a thing? But I was like, you can't, unlike the NFL, you know, um, it's all based on votes. I wanted something that we could actually look at and go, Oh, okay. There are the numbers. There's the formula. It's completely unbiased. I mean, if you set the criteria such, you could bias it. But so what I ended up doing was I was like, all right, what's fair. You can't, you can't do all major matches because not everybody has the ability to go to every major match. Even the criteria I use can be difficult, but I use all eight area matches and all three nationals. So your carry optics, your open PCC and your handgun nationals for this year. And depending on how frequently, how many of those matches you shot and how well you finished, determines your your points so like a um an area match win is worth 100 points and then i use a decaying point system in jay's uspsa analyst software to then break it down so if you're 20th you know you're only going to get so many points mm -hmm. um and if you win nationals, I was like, okay, I'm going to make that worth four different area matches. So that's a 400 point win if you win nationals. And if you notice, Max Leo Grandis won nationals in PCC, but he's not the PCC shooter of the year because he only competed in that one match. Mm-hmm. 
Corey Shield okay. competed at nationals and other matches. So he actually, it's kind of like NASCAR where you can win the Daytona 500, you know, one of the biggest races of the year. But if that's all you win and you don't do well the rest of the year consistently wise or consistency wise, then you're not going to be in that, you know, you're going to get cut out at the end of September or whenever it is when they start then the points race for the championship. Yeah. So, so, that's so you didn't take into account, was there, was there any account taken for like the level of competition at the area matches? No. Cause I think Jay's software does that when he comes up with those ratings, doesn't it? I well, the ratings, the ratings, um, I believe, uh, yeah, it's a little different in that regard. Um, but I plan on over the winter time trying to get with him some more privately and um, having that conversation where we can refine, where I can refine what I'm doing a little bit better. But okay. as of right now, no. I mean, if if nobody shows up for Area Seven and somebody wins Area Seven, they're going to get a hundred points for that win. Okay. But hmm. but where it would matter later though is if nobody showed up, but they still went to nationals, they're not going to get many points for nationals. Uh, and if they shoot any other area matches, then they're not going to, their finish won't be as, as good either. You know what I mean? Yeah. So like if you take a, a mid-level GM who would finish middle of the pack GM, maybe he wins area. And I'm just using area seven as an example. Maybe mm -hmm. he wins area seven but his points total in the other matches aren't going to accumulate enough unless he shoots every single one of them. Chances are there's no way he's going to be able to win that race because he's not finishing at a high enough level to overcome those guys who do win nationals or, you know, top 10, like even second place nationals is 380 points. So okay. yeah, you would still have to win four area matches to overcome the guy who is second at nationals. Well, that makes that's sense. I weighed yeah. it the way it did. Okay. Well, that's pretty cool. That's pretty cool. So I think it, uh, it kind of came out of nowhere. Like we need to, we need to get this hyped up for next year. We need to uh, get people uh, yes. trying to get that, that award, that trophy. I, I agree. And I'm already thinking in terms of maybe trying to, I'm going to reach out to some folks, try to get some sponsors and see if we can't actually come up with some awards to yeah. present to folks for being shooter of the year in the different divisions and the overall. Okay, cool. So uh, they got to be a casual shooter though, right? They can't, Nils is not a casual shooter. Sorry, Nils. <laughs> well, it's going to have my logo on it, but <laughs> the winners, you know, that dude. No, I'm just kidding. That dude is one, like all the ones I've looked at, he's won like every single one of them. Mm-hmm. But here's, here's the other thing that I, I find interesting is if you look at all the people in the top, Tom Castro, prime example, third overall, right? He can pick up a limited optics gun. He can pick up a PCC, a carry optics gun and shoot it and do well and earn enough points to be in that conversation. Mm -hmm. Nils is the same way, you know? So those guys who do that, who have that capability, boom, there's your quote unquote MVP slash shooter of the year. 
because they can pick up any platform, shoot it well, and and yeah. do well. Yeah, I mean, Nils is the is absolutely the best at that too. I mean, he I can't remember which podcast it was, but he was talking about his preparation for multi gun nationals, and he basically said, "I shot the shotgun one time, and I." checked my zero with my rifle and one and I'm just listening to him thinking, Oh man, you oh, like, that's, that's just so insane. So insane. Yeah. Um, super impressive. Exactly. And that's what I think the shooter of year shows is like, if you want to be in that conversation, these are the people you're competing against and this is what they're able to do. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I, and I think and IDPA. Christian, I mean, you you put him in any type of competition too. I know you're yeah. you're primarily focused on USBSA, but um, there's a lot of well, a lot of and I did reach out out there. I reached out to Jay about IDPA because I shoot a little bit of that too. I enjoy that. It's a different, it's a different flow. It's a different speed. It's a different everything. But I still enjoy it shooting. Mm-hmm. So I still enjoy it. But his software doesn't do that right now, but he is looking to change that and okay. make it so that you can put, you know, time plus in there and come up with the same thing for IDPA you can for USPSA. Mm. Cool. Yeah. yeah. Jay's stuff is super interesting. Um, there. Absolutely. I love every post he makes. <laughs> it's pretty. Really cool <laughs> yeah, it is. Wow. I could spend and hours going it. through that stuff. He's doing it out of the goodness of his heart too, from what I understand. So I appreciate him doing that. And Absolutely. I appreciate you putting together the shooter of the year. That's also pretty cool. I appreciate it. I really do. But I like you, I want to hype it up and, and have it become something. Nice. Nice. Well, Case, is there anything left that uh, <laughs> you meant to touch on and didn't or we didn't talk about? No, I think we pretty much touched everything. If I could do a quick shout out real quick. Um, yeah. Stage Zero Shooting Supply uh, is my my primary sponsor. Um, if you go to stagezerosshootingsupply.com, they are running 15% off for the rest of the year. So today, Black Friday 2023 marks 10 years, uh, at least having the, the website up, up and running. So effectively 10 years in business today. Um so if you use the code 10 years and counting, that's 10 as in the number 10 uh, years and counting, you'll get 15% off the, their entire store. I think with the exception of uh, firearms and reloading equipment. Um, so, and if there's every, anything you need that they don't have, um, Donnie over there at stage zero can, can order for you. So he supports the sport. He's big. He, uh, he puts on a lot of three gun matches down in North Carolina, South Carolina area. So please go support him um, as he supports the supports our sport. But other than that, I appreciate it, Dave. Thank you. Oh, thanks for coming on. I appreciate the conversation. Yeah, it was a pleasure as always. Until next time. Don't be a little bitch. Yeah.